Good morning, folks. It's Monday, June the 8th, and you're listening to another fine episode of Waking Up with Danny. Let's uh, get right in. It's time for the weather. Storms brought heavy winds and hail to the Midwest and the Great Plains on Sunday, a day after heavy rains and golf ball-sized hail rained down on parts of the region. Hailstones at least the size of quarters fell in parts of Kansas, Oklahoma, and Illinois on Sunday afternoon, and numerous trees were reported to have been blown over by the heavy winds in Peoria, Illinois, according to the National Weather Service. In McDonough, Illinois, an outbuilding and nine power poles were downed by heavy winds, according to the NWS. Parts of south-central Colorado, Kansas, and Missouri were under flash flood watches Sunday, and Indiana and Illinois were at great risk of seeing large hail and damaging winds until at least nightfall, according to the Weather Channel. Zooming out, folks, we got 64 in sunshine in Seattle, 68 in sunny in Boise, Belling, 66 in sunshine, Denver, Colorado, 53 in sunny, Albuquerque, 68, and partly cloudy. South Los Angeles, California, 60 degrees, and partly cloudy. San Francisco, California, 56, partly cloudy. Atlanta, Georgia, 72, thunderstorms. St. Louis, thunderstorms at 70. And Chicago, Illinois, 66, with rain and thunder showers. Omaha, 63, and sunshine in Minneapolis, Minnesota, 62, and sunny. Well, down in Orlando, Florida, 73 and thunderstorms. Miami is 77 with the thunderstorms also. Nolens is partly cloudy at 76. New York, New York, 64 and partly cloudy. Washington, D.C. is 66. Partly cloudy, too. San Antonio, Texas is 75. News. Lines and things. It's time for the news. What does it all mean? News. Lines around the world. It's time for the news. Well, two murderers who escaped from a prison by cutting through steel walls and pipes remain on the loose as authorities investigate how the inmates obtained the power tools used in the Shawshank Redemption-style breakout. Governor Andrew Cuomo said the escape over the weekend was a, quote, sophisticated plan, end quote, and announced a $100,000 reward for information leading to the men's capture. And Texas police officer who drew his gun on unarmed teenagers while responding to a disturbance at a pool party and threw a 14-year-old girl in a bathing suit to the ground has been placed on administrative leave, officials said Sunday. The incident occurred Friday night in McKinney, Texas, about 30 miles north of Dallas when police were called to a private community pool where a large crowd had gathered. In a video taken by a teenage bystander and posted to YouTube, the officer, who is white, can be seen shouting obscenities and ordering some black teens to lie on the ground while telling others to disperse. The officer is then seen grabbing the back of the girl's head, throwing her to the ground, and pushing her face down, then pulling his gun on a pair of black teenagers who appeared to be coming to her aid. And New Jersey's state police blocking gates outside of a major hip-hop concert at the MetLife Stadium had bottles thrown at them by angry people in the crowd who were trying to get inside, some without tickets, and they later used tear gas 
to try to disperse them, according to officials. Crowds at the Hot 97 Summer Jam concert became upset Sunday night when the gates were closed and blocked off by police and riot gear. An armored state police vehicle began blasting a piercing loud noise to try and disperse the crowd, and police later deployed tear gas. Additional troops were sent for, quote, crowd control, end quote, and arrests were made. A police spokesman, Sergeant Gregory Williams, told the Associated Press state police didn't realize details about what measures they used to disperse the crowd. The number of arrests wasn't immediately known. Stop the traffic, well, on all your major interstates today, moving into the city areas, you've got traffic backups and slowdowns, especially in areas where the weather is inclement. On the other hand, you got your quiet areas away from town. Those roads are looking pretty good, so be careful out there today on the roads. The stock market, the doubt is Walmart's strong 280,000 employment gain reaffirmed market expectations that September may be the month when the Fed raises interest rates for the first time in nine years. If the solid jobs report is confirmed by other economic data, it suggests that the second quarter may not be quite as sluggish as some fear, and the Fed, therefore, may be willing to move to end the era of zero interest rates. It reestablishes momentum and keeps them on track for September rate hike. That's the bottom line, said Dush Banks, chief U.S. economist Joseph Lavorgna. He had expected 275,000 non-form payrolls, while Wall Street's consensus was just for 225,000 jobs. The report also showed a slightly better-than-expected 0.3% increase in average hourly wages in May, taken by some traders as an early sign that wage growth and inflation may finally be picking up. A necessary ingredient for rate hikes. Today in history, a lot of things have happened. Maybe a man flew to the moon. Maybe a baby was saved by a bamboo. We'll get to the bottom of this and much, much more. On today in history, I'm waking up with It's June the 8th, 2015. Today is National Best Friends Day. Today is also Name Your Poison Day. National Caribbean American HIV AIDS Awareness Day. Can we get an acronym for that one, please? Today is Upsy Daisy Day. And also World Brain Tumor Day. Glad we have a day for that one. And today is World Oceans Day. Well, today in history in 1991, the Victory Parade held in Washington, D.C. for the Persian Gulf War. In 1974, U.S. and Saudi Arabia signed the Military Economic Contract. In 1949, Siam changes its name to Thailand. 
1940, the discovery of element 93, Neptunium, was announced. In 1783, the Lackey volcano in southern Iceland begins its eight-month eruption. Talking about life and death. Well, in 1955, Tim Berners-Lee was born. In 1933, Joan Rivers was born. In 1925, Barbara Bush was also born. In 1916, Francis Crick also was born. And in 1867, Frank Lloyd Wright of the Wright Brothers was also born. But people also died. In 1996, Percy Edwards, an animal imitator, died at 88 years old. In 1991, Mary Bacon, a jockey dying of cancer, commits suicide by gun at 43. 1988, Eli Mintz, an actor from Boardwalk, dies. In 1987, Yogi Horton, a drummer from Luther Vandross, commits suicide at 33 years old. In 1967, Elliot Griffiths, a composer died at 74, and in 1940, Frederick Shepard Converse, a U.S. composer, dies at a 69, 218 A.D. Opelius Macrinus, the emperor of Rome from 217 to 218, dies in battle at 54 years old, and 632, Muhammad, the prophet of Islam and Koran, dies, according to tradition. And then in the year 1042, Hardy Canute, the King of England, from 1040 to 1042, of Lambeth, dies as well. And you know you gotta learn something today. Make your life better. The more you know, the more you know. You'll make your life better. You make your life better And the more you know, the more you know Today I learned all the interesting history around the photograph of the Tank Man. Man that stood in front of those row of tanks at Tiananmen Square at its anniversary on June 5th, 1989. Fascinating story. A man who stood in front of a column of tanks on June 5th, the morning after the Chinese military had suppressed the Tiananmen Square protests of 1989 by force, became known as the Tank Man or Unknown Protester. I've often wondered what happened after that photo was taken. Well... As the lead tank maneuvered to pass by the man, he repeatedly shifted his position in order to obstruct the tank's attempted path around him. The incident was filmed and seen worldwide. Currently, there is no reliable information about the identity or the fate of the tank man. The incident took place near Tiananmen on Changwan Avenue, which runs east-west along the north end of Tiananmen Square in Beijing, China on June 5th, 1989, one day after the Chinese government violent crackdown on the Tiananmen protests. The man stood in the middle of the wide avenue, directly in the path of a column of approaching Type 59 tanks. 
He wore a white shirt and black trousers and held two shopping bags, one in each hand. As the tanks came to a stop, the man gestured towards the tanks with his bags. In response, the lead tank attempted to drive around the man, but the man repeatedly stepped into the path of the tank in a show of nonviolent action. After repeatedly attempting to go around rather than crush the man, the lead tank stopped its engines and the armored vehicles behind it seemed to follow suit. There was a short pause with the man and the tanks having reached a quiet still impasse. Having successfully brought the column to a halt, the man climbed onto the hull of the buttoned-up lead tank, and after briefly stopping at the driver's hatch, he then climbed atop the turret and seemed to have a short conversation with a crew member at the gunner's hatch. After ending the conversation, the man descended from the tank. The tank commander briefly emerged from his hatch, and the tanks restarted their engines, ready to continue on. At that point, the man who was standing within a meter or two from the side of the lead tank leapt in front of the vehicle once again, and quickly reestablished the tank man standoff. Video footage shows two figures in blue pulling the man away and disappearing with him into a nearby crowd. The tanks continued on their way. Eyewitnesses are unsure who pulled him aside. Charlie Cole, there for Newsweek, said it was the Chinese government, PSB, the Public Security Bureau, while Jan Wang, there for the Globe and Mail, thought that the men who pulled him away were concerned bystanders. In April of 1998, Time included the unknown rebel in a feature titled Time 100, The Most Important People of the Century. Every day is born a new hero. He faces adversary with a mighty sword. children out planting trees. See, because we figured that that was part of their education to see how, you know, the root systems and also the sense of responsibility, taking care of things, being individually responsible. You know what I mean. And the trees all died. They were orange trees. I don't know why they died. They just died. Something's wrong with the soil possibly, or maybe the stuff we got from the nursery wasn't the best. We complained about it. So we've got 30 kids there. Each kid had his or her own little tree to plant, and we've got these 30 dead trees. All these kids looking at these little brown sticks. It was depressing. 
It wouldn't have been so bad except that just a couple of weeks before the thing with the trees, all the snakes died. But I think that the snakes, well, the reason that the snakes kicked off was that, you remember, the boiler was shut off for four days because of the strike, and that was explicable. It was something you could explain to the kids because of the strike. I mean... None of their parents would let them cross the picket line, and they knew there was a strike going on and what it meant. So, when things got started up again and we found the snakes, they weren't too disturbed. With the herb gardens, it was probably a case of overwatering, and at least now they know not to overwater. The children were very conscientious with the herb garden, and some of them probably... You know, slip them a little extra water when they weren't looking, or maybe, well, I don't like to think about sabotage. Although that did occur to us, I mean, it was something that crossed our minds. We were thinking that way probably because before that, the gerbils had died. And the white mice had died, and the salamander, well... Now they know not to carry around them plastic bags. Of course, we expected the tropical fish to die. That was no surprise. Those numbers, you look at them crooked and their belly up on the surface. But the lesson plan called for a tropical fish input. At that point, there was nothing we could do. Happens every year, you just have to hurry past it. We weren't even supposed to have a puppy. We weren't even supposed to have one. It was just a puppy that the Murdoch girl found under the Gristeed's truck one day, and she was afraid the truck would run over it, and when the driver had finished making his delivery, so she stuck it in her knapsack and brought it to the school with her. So we had this puppy. As soon as I saw the puppy, I thought, oh Christ, I bet it will live for about a week or two, and then... And that's what it did. It wasn't supposed to be in the classroom at all. There's some kind of regulation about it. But you can't tell them that they can't have a puppy when the puppy is already there, right in front of them, running around on the floor and yap, yap, yapping. They named it Edgar. That is, they named it after me. They had a lot of fun running after it and yelling, Here, Edgar! Nice, Edgar! Then they'd laugh like hell. They enjoyed the ambiguity. I enjoyed it myself. I don't mind being kidded. They made a little house for it in the supply closet and all that. I don't know what it died of. Distemper, I guess. It probably just hadn't had any shots. I got it out there before the kids got to school. I checked the supply closet each morning routinely because I knew that was going to happen. I gave it to the custodian. And then there was this Korean orphan that the class adopted through the Help the Children program. All the kids brought in a quarter a month. That was the idea. It was an unfortunate thing. The kid's name was Kim, and maybe we adopted him too late or something. Cause of death was not stated in the letter we got. They suggested we adopt another child instead and sent us some interesting case histories. But we didn't have the heart. The class took it pretty hard. They began. I think nobody ever said anything to me directly. They began to feel that maybe there was something wrong with the school. But I don't think there's anything wrong with the school, particularly. I've seen better and I've seen worse. It was just a run of bad luck. We had an extraordinary number of parents passing away, for instance. 
There were, I think, two heart attacks and two suicides, one drowning and four killed together in a car accident. One stroke. And we had the usual heavy mortality rate among the grandparents, or maybe it was heavier this year. It seemed so. And finally, the tragedy. Well, the tragedy occurred when Matthew Wine and Tony Mavrigordo were playing over there where they're excavating for the new federal office building. There were all these big wooden beams stacked, you know, at the edge of the excavation. There's a court case coming out of that. The parents are claiming that the beams are stacked poorly. I don't know what's true and what's not. It's been a strange year. Well, that was The School from Donald Bartlemé. And that's going to do it for this episode of Waking Up with Danny. And thank you for joining me. Join me next week and we'll do it all over again. Thanks for listening. Wake it up.